Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Welcome, everybody, to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. Now, this episode is a great one. It's full of massive value, amazing quotes. Nicholas Byerly totally over-delivers in this episode. But before we get into the interview, I want to remind you that Lori and I have decided to start doing some free training videos, short little videos on things that we struggled with in life and how we overcame them, which is actually a great lead into many of the conversations I'm about to have with Nicholas here, but things that we struggled with in life, how we overcame them, such as our stories and our blocks, and we just decided to put these things into short little videos and share them with you so that if you're suffering from any of the same blocks or any of the same hurdles as well, you'll be able to maybe take a little bit of inspiration from our stories, from our journey as to how we got where we are today. So you can check those out at lauriharder.com forward slash free training. Again, that's lauriharder.com forward slash free training. I hope you guys like those short videos. So today I'm going to sit down with Nicholas, the founder and CEO of Billion Dollar Body. And we're going to talk about his story, how he went from obese and broke and having massive self-esteem issues to totally fit and thriving in business, how he's literally taken control of his life, regardless of where he came from and the struggles he had growing up. So we get into a great conversation about not only how you can handle any issues you have with self-esteem, but how you can overcome them. There's a ton of inspiration to be had here. Also, we talk about his deep fear of failure and how he's used it as a driver, as an asset, as a way to succeed, and how you can as well. We talk about what he had to change in order to have his first million dollar year. So all of you who are striving to have your first seven figure year, he tells you the one thing that he had to switch in order to have his first million dollar year. And I think you're going to find it something that you can do too. And of course, we talk about the popular subject of how he makes it all work, running his business as a couple with his awesome wife. So this episode is just full of massive value, tons of great quotes, tons of great one-liners that I think is going to leave you totally inspired. So listen up, get ready, because this episode is epic. All right, Nicholas, my man, thank you for letting me return the favor. You interviewed me a while back, and now I get to interview you. Hey, Chris, I'm so excited to be here, and just thank you so much for putting this whole thing together. For the people that you're serving through this show, I know I've heard so many different stories from it. I loved having you on my show, and a lot of the guys loved it as well. Oh, I can't wait. It's kind of fun when you get to roll reverse here and see what kind of questions come up, see what kind of answers come up, and, and just get to know each other's personality. So I'm looking forward to this. Now, with my show, I start it with a rapid-fire section instead of ending it with one the way some people do. And it's really just to help my listeners get to know you in a hurry build momentum. And then if there's anything that comes up that we want to do a deep dive on, we'll circle back. Are you in? Oh, I'm totally in. Let's do it. All right. Very cool. We'll start simple. Where'd you grow up? San Diego. Where do you live now? San Diego, Northern. Temecula, Man, you've been Lincoln spoiled country. your whole life. Yeah. I love it. What's one of your superpowers? Communication. Oh, good one, man. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Failing. Ah, expand on that quickly. 
I, I would say I use it to a motivation more than people should. I believe in using all your motivations uh, towards a common good goal, but I would like to transition more into the things I want to go after rather than running away from something into success. I'd rather run towards it, but I wouldn't say that I do that perfectly and I'm totally cool sharing everything about my life with everyone. Yeah, we're going to circle back. I like that answer. What's one of your favorite books? Uh, the Bible and Think and Grow Rich. Oh, great answers. What's one regret you have? Uh, not taking risks earlier. You know what's funny? That's the most common answer. I mean, it's getting creepy how consistent this answer is. And maybe not buying a Ford Raptor before they appreciate it in price. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Who is somebody that's changed your life? My wife is a big one. Oh, that's cool. I love when you have those type of relationships. What's something generous you've recently done? Uh, we gave to a high school ministry where they go into high schools and help the high school kids uh, that are basically they have like 200 of these high school kids come together and they really just give them hope. They give them love and they're there to help them connect. And so that was something that we contributed to recently. So cool. Way to go, man. What is one of your all time favorite accomplishments thus far? This is such a funny story because my personality type really only looks at I, I care more about not losing than I care about actually winning. I would say my biggest accomplishment right now is that I got the perfect place for my wife and I to have a place to be able to think about start having kids. Oh, how soon are kids? Uh, about a year and a half, maybe starting. Not not year and a half until they pop out, but maybe a year and a half till we start. <laughs> I love it. I think Lori and I are kind of on that same similar schedule. Of course, you can never really dictate life, can you? Yeah, it's nerve wracking even saying it. I know it's a big change. Okay, so let's go a little bit deeper into the interview. And I'm really curious because I heard that you went from obese and broke to fit and successful. And I've only known you since you've been fit and successful. So take us back there. Were you really obese? I have a hard time seeing it. Yeah, so I actually wanted to be a professional motocross rider growing up. And my dad and I, my parents split up when I was four. And mom is normally like the comforter and the dad is normally the disciplinary. And when both of them are in agreement on the vision for the household, that's a good thing. But for mine, it obviously wasn't with them splitting up. So when my dad was the disciplinary, I actually just ran to the comforter and hid. And it's really weird when I think about my life. I learned so much from my dad, though I can't really think of tons of things I learned from my mom. Sorry, mom. Because that discipline really helped me, but of course I ran away from it as a kid. So when I was 13 years old, I put so much pressure on myself to be the best in the world that I used to literally gag myself and scratch the back of my throat to throw up blood so that I had an excuse if I didn't win. That's how bad I wanted to win, but I just got, I was fearful of actually losing more so. And this turned into me actually just reaching out with a lifeline. I was already kind of depressed at the time. I reached out to my dad and I'm like, dad, I want to be the best motocross racer in the world. And he looked at me and he stared at me in the face and he was like, you'll never be the best. And it crushed me. I didn't talk to my dad really for three and a half years. And I went through high school with never having a girlfriend. I graduated with a 1.8 GPA, went to summer school every single year. And then I gained 60 pounds throughout that entire process as well, which on my five, six body, 60 pounds shows quite a bit. Wow. I can't picture this. This is fascinating. Okay, keep going. Yeah, so I was just that guy that literally – I, I was in San Diego. You say I've been blessed my entire life. Do you know what it's like to be 60 pounds overweight in yeah, San Diego? That's rough. Everybody's fit and beautiful. 
Oh my gosh. And so 60 pounds overweight during the summer. I just remember thinking, man, the pressures of going outside of my house, the pressures of this world, the low self-esteem. I, out of all the men that I've worked with, I had had some of the lowest self-esteem. What I love about this is Tucker Max, whether people like him or hate him, he said something really profound to me once. And he said, mentors, the best ones that you want to look for aren't the ones that failed and never had success because obviously you don't want to learn from people that never done anything. That's why I have such great people on the show. The second thing is you also don't want to learn only from people that had success quickly or easy. Like it was just total blessing for them because they don't know the struggles that you and I go through and the people listening go through to have success. But someone who had immense pressure failed and then was able to overcome it and have success in that area. And I feel that, man, I, I'm so grateful for the 60 pounds. I'm so grateful for the hard upbringing that I had. I'm so grateful for the rejection and the things I got to experience because now I just actually get to see and relate with a lot of our clients and people in the world, but also have the story of how I overcame it and consistently have to overcome it every day. So when did things start to turn around for you? What was that moment? Such a weird thing. I w I've always been so hot and cold motivated. I don't know if it was my upbringing, if I was depressed, if it was hormonal. I have no clue. But what I do know is that when I met this kid in my high school, it all started with health. He pulled out a bag of fruit. So simple. It's so I mean, you can change people's life, the person in front of you, with one simple statement. And he showed me this bag of fruit and said he had a meal plan from his coach to become a, a good boxer, to weigh in at the correct weight. And all of a sudden I thought, wow, there's a plan, something I could follow to get a certain result to be healthier. I went home, I told my mom, I was 17 years old at the time, said, mom, buy me this fruit. Never talked to the guy again, still to this day. And in six months, I lost 60 pounds. And that, that gave me so much freedom going after my health first and how that physical manifestation of valuing myself more actually externally manifested as well, where I connect, connected with my dad again. I started having more fun. I started becoming more active, got more friends, and then eventually led to attracting my ideal wife, which is phenomenal. She's the best thing ever. And then from there, launching a business together. And so all of it started with first the investment myself that came for me through health. And I really believe that if you cannot value yourself physically through a physical declaration, then you can't really value others either. And I'll expound on that a little bit later, but really I believe that first it starts with that investment value in yourself. It says, uh, love those at, at love those as you love yourself. And the quote to me really is about to the extent that you can love yourself, you can love others. And that's where I started. Wow. That's one of the truest statements in the world. So here you are today and you just had your first seven figure year. Congrats. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And you've got this epic wife. I've had a chance to meet her a couple of times. She's super cool. Like you, you've got everything going in your favor. Do you, have you shed that low self-esteem or do you feel like it still creeps up? Is it part of your DNA? I would say it did. I, I Right now I'm at the highest of my high when it comes to personal. You could rip everything away from me. I don't really care about the stuff. I've never been really motivated through it. I used to always give when I was like 18, 19 years old. Even when I was in second grade, I used to give my lunch money away every single day. So I wasn't this like really crazy kid about money. But for me, everything changed when I first started investing myself, sure. But I still hated talking to new people. I really hated going to events. And I hated putting myself in pressure situations where I felt like I had to perform still. And so this is why I say my wife is my biggest mentor is because she's the person that's closest to me. And the number one refund for high ticket things normally, and this is all on the guy, by the way, but the number one refund is that they go home, they tell their wife, and their wife says, you're not going to be able to do it. You need a refund. They refund it because the wife doesn't believe in them. And I really believe this is also the men's man's 
fault as well. But for my wife, she always knew me and was closest to me. And when she believed in me that I was better than I actually was performing, that gave me so much confidence because I trusted her opinion because it wasn't based on, you know, what I did outside when everyone's watching through perception, but she was the closest person to me. She saw me cry. She saw me scream. She saw me basically put my face in the cheese grater for three years to be able to build a business. And so because of that, she pushed me in situations where I felt, oh, honey, I'm too scared to go over them, too scared to take the speaking opportunity. She pushed me. And I'll tell you, I got invited to have a TV show on uh, the Disney Channel when I was 14 years old, and they wanted to do a Cory in the House type situation for people that know what that is. And I was so bound by fear and insecurity and self-esteem that I begged my mom not to take the calls, not to actually take that opportunity. And it's so crazy how much we rob ourselves of opportunity because we feel like we're not worthy, we're not there. We push away and we wonder why our life isn't going the direction that we want. Maybe we should have taken that right turn. So my wife has really pushed me to do that. Now I consistently do it because now it's just a habit. It's just who I am. Now now I feel like I've overcome that, but I do it through taking new steps where I feel uncomfortable every day. Uncomfortability is something you should experience every day. We call it lessons learned at BDB, meaning every day you should have a lesson learned from something that you actually learned in life or something that you overcame that you could share with someone that's super fun, that's exciting. And if you don't have a lesson learned, then you're not taking enough risk in your life. You're not pushing yourself into that boundary. So let's kind of put a bow on this low self-esteem thing. I feel like that's one of the biggest things that holds people back in their business. They know what to do, but their low self-esteem is holding them back from following through. Talk to those people. What's their first step? The first step is investing in yourself. Write down the things right now that you feel like are holding you back. And we do exercises like this all the time where we write it on a paper bag. We go to breakthrough events. I think surrounding yourself with better people is the number one place that you're going to see the transformation. When I gained a skill set that was valuable to hum humanity for me is when I started feeling I started feeling valuable to the world. And that value was something that no one could take away from me. A lot of people want their external world to validate them. They want everyone else to validate them. They want the lottery to come and, and fill their bank account instead of actually improving themselves. And so the crazy thing about investing in yourself, getting around the right people, getting around the right mentors, is that they can speak truth into you, but on top of this, no one can actually take away that success from you. When I grow, when I learn, this is something that no one can take away from me, and it's the thing that I've built the foundation of my confidence has been on things that cannot be taken away, cannot be shaken. You could take my business, throw me in Zimbabwe, and take everything from me, and I would still have the same exact confidence because it's inside of me rather than an external validation. So I look at it, and I would play with different things that you could do because I really do think there's things that you can achieve or grow in a skill set that can give you confidence. But it all starts on the inside first, knowing who you are, loving yourself, and outside of that place, all of a sudden, everyone else's opinion of you does not matter anymore. What an important tip. What a great answer for everybody out there that's paralyzed by self-esteem. You know, here's where you turn first. Here's how you break through. I love that you're vulnerable enough to share all that. Hey, that's so why they're listening to your show as well, man. It's like, this is the place to show up to get around people like yourself, people that have that high self-esteem. Normally birds of a feather flock together and like attracts like. And if you are feeling that low self-esteem, you'll no normally surround yourself with people with low self-esteem. The number one way to do that is to fight that, do the exact opposite of people that don't listen to shows like this and go out there and surround yourself with people that are more confident to you. And what happens is your, your environment, you start adapting to it. And that's the quickest way and the easiest way, I would say 50% of success is just showing up. 
Mm, I absolutely love that. And thank you, by the way. Thank you. Let me ask you this. Was this the inspiration for your business? My inspiration for my business really was this. My wife was a higher priority than anything else besides myself growing my health. Because if I can't show up for my wife, then I'm already I'm already jacked up. So my second highest priority besides showing up was my wife. And when I got married, I realized, okay, we're going to need finances to be able to make this thing happen. And also the second thing for me was that I was doing missions work at the time. I went to Bulgaria, Turkey, Greece, France, Scotland, London. I went to Africa, all these different places. And I was, I was helping serve the poor in the poorest places with a group of about 1,200 people. And what I realized is that nobody could afford to go. And it just blew my mind that there was 1,198 other people besides my wife and I. They were out there, and none of them could afford, but they were willing to go to the poorest places in the world and serve the poor. Yet most people would never do that, but they could afford to go. And I, that's, those were the two inspirations for me was that, one, my number one goal is to be around my wife as much as possible. I didn't want to leave and go to two separate jobs. The second thing was that I was being almost prideful by the fact that I was serving so much. I thought, man, this is my destiny. I'm going to go speak to all these people in Africa. I'm going to go speak to all these poor people and inspire them. And I thought, man, laying down my life for me is actually going out there and building a business to send out 1,198 other people to go do the same thing that I was willing to do instead of being the person that just goes out and does that. And so that's why my wife and I came together as that core mission of our business to go, we're going to send people out. And even now sending people out in LA, like I talked about with the high schools, to be able to send people out that are willing to have that servant heart, to be able to be that fuel, that rocket source behind them where they're able to go further faster and go affect people in a greater way. So where does this servant's heart come from? You talk so much already about giving and missions trip and all that. How'd this become a part of you? It's very weird. I never went to church one time in my life all growing up. And at 18 years old, I went to my first church service and they really talked about giving at the time. It was like, you can't outgive God. And they were talking about, you've never seen anyone give their way into, into poverty. And I'm just thinking they're stirring in my head. So I actually have this book of when I first started giving. I just thought, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this thing out. I don't know how to make money yet. But I sure know that I, I definitely want it in the future. So I'm actually going to test this out and see maybe if I can grow and if I keep giving, I'll be able to give more. And so it just I remember having my mom used to give me $40 a week and I used to give a, a good portion of that. So I gave $12 for the first time. And the next week I tracked how much money I had, how much money I gave, how much money I had left. And I used to sit there and go, OK, whatever I'm supposed to do with this money, I'll do with it whether it's give all of it to someone else, whatever. But I had a base amount that I was trying to give, which was about 10 to 20% of whatever I was making. And you'll see this notebook go to the point where literally in 12 weeks, I, I actually gave $542, which for me at the time, yeah, I think I've never even made that much in my life. In one week, I was able to give that in 12 weeks just from giving. I didn't have a job. I had nothing else. I was giving value to communities. I was trying to teach. I was trying to help. I was trying to serve because I was just part of my heart from giving. I really think giving is more for ourself, actually, than it is for the people that are receiving it. It says greater is the hand who gives than the hand that receives. So for me, I don't know if it was because of this giving, it changed my mindset and my heart that made me serve and people just wanted to give me money. I'm not exactly sure. But what I do know is when I put giving into practice, it actually came back to me. And I get that people can use that for selfish motivations. But for me, it was a validation that, man, there's something bigger out there than myself. And when I shift my heart through a physical act where my money is, my heart is also. And I'm able to show that through a physical act. I think there's something about that. I look at it as seeds, Chris. Really, I do. I look as every single dollar is a seed that I put out there and it's going to reap a harvest somewhere. So I like to sow into good people and good organizations. Man, what a great metaphor. I love that. It was such a great visual for people to understand how they can make their money work for them and for other people at the same time. That's absolutely beautiful. 
So tell me more about your business. Yeah, we're on a we're on a mission right now to redefine what it means to be a businessman. When I go and speak places, they'll I'll say, "What? How would you describe a general businessman back in the day?" They're like, "Oh, clothes don't fit well. They're working all the time, drinking, eating unhealthy, traveling, never see family, divorces." Right? This is a common theme. Even if you look back at the older entrepreneurs that we all know and love, a common theme was divorce. A common theme was sacrificing health. A common theme was being out of shape, dying early. And I I went on a mission to go. I'm going to transform this. If you could transform the man, you can transform the world. See, women are smart. Women do five different diets a year. They know that they're supposed to invest in their health. They're generally spiritual. They're generally ready to give. They're generally the people that are going to church as well. But the men are the ones that are at home as the leader because women love to feel safe, whereas men love to take a leadership role. And in those roles, the men are failing households all across America. You even look at death row. Look at how many of those kids are in fatherless homes. And so for me, I look at businessmen in the future as the new athletes, as the people that are gonna have the most amount of influence on the future generation. And if I can create a lifestyle, the billion dollar body lifestyle that they live, that is a lifestyle that's worth modeling, then all of a sudden these guys can go produce more money that goes to better causes while they're living a healthier lifestyle, while they literally are having it all in health, business, and relationships. And we're on a mission to redefine the actual definition of businessman, where in the future, it will no longer be looked at as the same thing, just some guy who makes money doing business, but it'll be looked at as a lifestyle, a thing that someone is that stands the test of time and is out there making a difference in the world. And right now we're actually ticking something off the box, which is building a billion dollar net worth inside of our private community. Man, I love that. I love the entire purpose of your business. And, and that actually explains why it's an all men's community is because that's who you're trying to well clean up for lack of a better term. And it's, it's so funny you mentioned this because when I was in banking, we looked the part of what you're trying to fix. <laughs> you know, that is slop your clothes, buttoned up. I mean, we thought we looked good, but we really didn't. And we were all out of shape because we were working so much and making bad food choices and drinking too much and partying too much. And I've, I really do see a shift in those that are successful compared to the way we used to picture the successful, quote, businessman. Absolutely. There's just a movement going on right now uh, but even though it looks like here, like everyone has a podcast, right? But no one in the world knows anyone who has a podcast. And so just because in our community it's happening, we're on the West Coast, everything's going well, but there's so many men out there that are failing in so many areas. And I'll tell you, one of the most common things in the South, part of America, old money, is making everyone – think that you're having a perfect lifestyle, that you have a perfect family, that you never have conflict, yet inside of those doors, all heck breaks loose, right? I don't want to, I don't know what I can actually say on the show, Anything but all want. heck breaks loose. And, and, and when I look at those examples right now, I just see failure. I see, I see people modeling something that isn't true. I see people that so many kids in high school, I'll tell you one of my visions, ready? I want to actually make it mandatory for schools across America to fill up huge stadiums where I have people in my life, a way for me to give back, the most inspirational people that had a hard time in high school like me, go and speak and speak success to them and make it mandatory to fill all these stadiums all across America. Because kids in America today are not mentored by good mentors. They're mentored by teachers, no offense, like that's just one thing. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. But secondly, they're not mentored by anyone besides their parents that usually aren't mentored either because it's very weird for someone who's 
out of high school to actually mentoring a person in high school without the parents knowing. And I just think to break that gap, to bridge that gap, kids are mentored by their friends and they act like their friends. Yet when we they graduate school or graduate high school or college, all of a sudden we expect them to be perfect and to prosper. Yet we've never laid a foundation for anything, an example for them to follow. And culture is what people follow. So when it's a giving podcast like this, even if you're egotistical, you're gonna wanna give to get recognized. At least you're using your ego to do something good, whereas in gangs, what do they do? All they're doing is following culture. All we have to do is set the example. Man, I love that. I've got no doubt that you'll fill stadiums to fulfill this purpose. Are you doing events yet? So we do our live events personally inside of our community. I really feel this like, man, these guys have such big reaches, such so many people they're influencing. I'd rather just empower them to live the lifestyle and set the example for their companies. Now, when it comes to high schools, I am open. So if there's anyone listening, I will literally go out on my own dime. If as long as it works out with the whole schedule stuff, I'll fly out to your high school and I'll speak to whatever, 50 kids, doesn't really matter, just to be able to help out. This is something that I really think that, uh, man, could you imagine one kid with fruit changed my entire life forever? My dad and I had a falling out one second. My life changed for the negative in one second, changed for the positive from that one kid. Now, could you imagine someone who's actually 26 that's actually doing something in his life, going out and doing that? I, I just couldn't even imagine what type of impact that would make on those kids to actually have an example to follow. Yeah, I mean, what a perfect demographic to target. I, I absolutely love your mission. So now you've turned this into your first seven-figure year ever. Congrats. That's like a huge milestone. Yeah, it came one year too late, man. I'll tell you what. When I was 20, I was like, oh, when I'm 25, and then we hit it when I was 20, turned 26. So that was kind of a bummer, but uh, other than that, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. You're still way ahead of where I was when I was 26. So A, congratulations. B, how'd you do it? What shifted? Like, What did you have to change to have a seven-figure year? I'll tell you what. It was all me. It was all me. It's so crazy. People say your business will only grow as much as you do. And I, I get it. I get it. But I just was holding myself back in so many areas. I was scared to start a lifestyle brand. I thought, no, I got to stick on only health because no one else will ever get it. I'm not a person that can actually have a lifestyle that people are living. And then I just got called out. Lucky I had the good mentors around me. I invested in good masterminds. Uh, I'm in multiple of them every single year. I surrounded myself with the right people. I got the right mentors. But I was still missing something that was along the lines of focus and believing in myself and the mission that we are creating. You have to give up the good for the great. And I even had a quote when I was 18 years old come to me and people can write this down. I'd rather do what I know is right and fail than do what I already know is wrong and succeed. Meaning going after your passion, what you believe you should be doing is the right thing to do, but it may make you fail in front of everyone else. What they think is failure, not doing a good job or not making tons of money rather than doing what you already know is wrong, which is sticking with that same old thing that's holding you back, but succeeding, meaning making money, meaning whatever you think everyone thinks you should be doing, I'd rather do it what I know is right and, and fail than do what I already know is wrong and succeed. And so I launched it. I decided I'm gonna do a live event and I'm gonna launch this lifestyle, the billion dollar body. Billion dollar brotherhood is what we're gonna call it. And that decision, one, freaked me out. Two, was the right thing to do and I was willing to fail are you? And the third thing is that, man, it held me accountable. I had all my favorite speakers coming to that live event and I sold my first 10 tickets. I was, it was exclusively to hundred people, hundred percent paid, no discounts. And it freaked me out. And the first 10 people, I thought, you know, what's going to happen. They're going to show up. They're going to look around and they're going to say, 
I thought there was supposed to be 100 people here. There's only 10 here. What the heck's going on? And all the speakers are going to show up, and they're going to realize that I was an unreliable source, not worth talking to anymore. And I put so much pressure on myself that I was going to fail in front of my mentors, fail in front of the people I looked up to, and fail every single person in that, in that event. And it taught me a lot about focus because in that moment I said, I'm going to work 15 hours a day on this event until I fill it up. We, we sold out the entire live event absolutely crushed it filled every single program through the brim where we have more applications that we know what to do with and we crushed that live event taught me focus and i was able to put that into every other area of our business where we focus on one thing create a system until it's automated and then we move on rather than having tons of products that we jump from one to the other focus on one at a time made it simple and from there we succeeded Man, thanks for sharing that because that's one of the biggest fears that everybody has. If I put on this mastermind, if I put on this event, if I do, if I, you know, come out of the closet and say what I really want to do, what if only five people show up? What if only 10 people show up? Then they're going to look around and say, why did I participate? This is clearly not where I'm supposed to be. It's a massive fear. I remember having that fear when we did Lori's first Bliss Project. Uh, that was five years ago. I remember having that fear when I did my first mastermind. It's a real thing. You know who it's about at that point? It's about you. It's about me. It's about the person putting on the event. I went to an event that actually was a flop. They said there was going to be tons of people there, and there was about a third of what they said. Yet guess what? The only person that kind of got shamed is maybe the speakers who weren't talked to, and yeah, they maybe looked at the host wrong, but the actual people in the audience got transformed. They loved it. They had no clue. They didn't even recognize. And so when we hold ourselves back that way, we're accountable to the people that we're not affecting. And I'll tell you one story. As long as we have the time, do you have one? Do I have a minute to tell a story? Absolutely. Perfect. So I had a friend in high school, and this is just getting super vulnerable. Um, I, I walked past her every day. We actually did guitar class together and created music together while I was in high school for the first three years. So this is my fourth year. We're not in that class anymore. And I passed her every single day. And being being self-conscious, meaning conscious of myself only, allowing my self-consciousness to rule me, my self-esteem to rule me, I never really said anything positive to her. I actually walked past her every day and hardly even said hello because I thought that was the way to communicate when I was in high school. She also walked past about 2,000 other kids every single day. And I remember being 18 years old and I'm sitting there, I get a phone call and the phone call goes like this. I answer it, hello, hey, I need to tell you something. Jamie just hung herself. And I get this call that my friend hung herself in a room. Oh. And I just remember my heart sinking and like my whole body sinking. Sorry, I'm crying right now. But um, And I realized at that moment that she walked past people every day. And I, I told people I was going to actually host a little event for her to say thank you and to remember her. And 450 people showed up just by word of mouth. The biggest event I've ever done by far. And I just thought, man, this is how many people she affected. Yet what would they have had to say to her? stopping for the one person in front of them to get her not to go home that night. Could you imagine what was going through her head when she literally wrapped the thing around her neck before she even stepped off? Have you ever jumped off of a cliff before into water and the things that go through your mind, like I shouldn't be doing this, what if I get hurt? Could you imagine just what would have had to be said, the one person she could have called, yet not even myself did it. And I remember being going home six months later I was one in the morning and I was driving my truck and I was 18 years old and I was crying over the same exact thing. And I was like, you know what? I want to be used in my life for something greater than just like whatever I have going on, being self-conscious, having a lack of self-esteem, but I want to be focused on others. And I remember just getting this feeling, I'm going to live by my feeling, my gut. I'm going to do something different than other people. I want to be able to go like affect people like Jamie. And I got off on this exit six miles before my house. 
I just felt like I should. It's one in the morning. It's an industrial part of town. I'm like, I don't know why I'm here, but at least I took action on what I felt like I should. Because when you don't, that voice goes dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. But if you just take action, why won't the universe use you? Why won't God use you? You're already there, ready to go. You're the one person that's actually listening and doing what they feel. And I, I remember seeing this guy that's tatted from his feet all the way to his neck. And I thought, I should stop for him. I go, oh, great, thanks. I'll, I guess I should do it, though. I don't want this voice to go away. And I turn around, and he, and he comes up over the corner, and he starts rushing my truck. And I said one word to him, and I'll have to save the word for something else. But he stops in his tracks. He gets in my car, and I start driving him home, and he's bawling his eyes out. He's like 35 years old. I don't know what's going on. And he starts explaining this car broke down. He was on top of the mountain. Everything was going wrong for him. And he was going home that night to commit suicide, and he just had nothing to do it with. And he was going to kill himself. And as soon as I drove past him, he thought, I'm going to and kill this guy. Like, I'm going to freaking beat the crap out of this kid if he stops for me. And that's why he rushed my truck. And I just said one word that I felt like I should say and it stopped him in his tracks. And then I got to drive him home. And we ended up crying together that night. And now we're still friends on Facebook and he has a kid and didn't kill himself. And that's what can happen when you actually start following your passions and we're accountable for not just thinking about self-consciousness about what everyone else thinks of us, but we actually focus on the one in front of us through being empowered first. God, this is insane. First of all, I've got goosebumps head to toe, literally. What an insanely amazing story. When do we get to find out what the one word is? Oh, man, maybe if someone reaches out to me. Uh, I don't think I've ever even told the story on a podcast before. I just told it at a little small event the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think I've ever shared this before. So, and you've never shared the word yet? I've shared, I've shared the word for sure, but uh, I'll tell you after the show, and maybe it'll intrigue some people to uh, send me an email if they actually care. Oh, my God, that's crazy. Okay, you're going to get a million emails, I know. All right, so the next question <laughs> then is um, where does – you keep bringing up this fear of failing. And it was actually one of your rapid fire answers is that's what drives you. What, why is this so strong in you and where did this come from? I would say that I put so much pressure on myself that growing up, my only thought was that if you're not first, you're last. See, my dad told me that you'll never be the best for most kids. They're like, cool. I never really thought I was going to be the best in the first place. That was my only motivator of life. That was the only thing that I thought I could do to make my father happy because I always tried to impress him and I just never really did it. I remember riding motorcycles, skateboarding, doing everything that I did and pushing myself to the limits where breaking limbs or whatever, because I only thought about my dad that was looking at me and thought about, man, what if I just crack a smile on his face like what if he sees how hard I'm pushing myself so I just push myself over and over again and go man maybe he'll buy me that motorcycle that I want maybe he'll do this for me and really at the end of the day it was it was a big fault on mine no one can read your mind and communication such a big part and so for for me to, again I failed at health 60 pounds overweight I failed in relationships didn't have a girlfriend for seven years I failed at business and I failed at school and then I failed at communication as a kid as well. I just was never able to communicate. I was the quietest kid ever. And I just, I, again, I'm so grateful for that. But that fear or that fear of failure was a big deal for me because I thought the only way that I would be validated was that if I, if, if I succeeded. And, to, and in a lot of ways, it, it kind of is true, not internally, but externally by the world. Like you get paid by the value you bring to the world. Value means giving, solving more problems for more people. But to allow that to affect your happiness will allow your happiness to go up and down every single day. So it's still something I'm working on, I would say. Um, but those are some of the things that are going through my mind right now since we're having a little 
therapy session. <laughs> so is overcoming the fear of failure the same as overcoming low self-esteem or is it something different? For me, it's definitely different. The, the driver, I believe there's positives to everything. So think about cravings. Since we talk about like health stuff and Lori, cravings are looked at as, as negative until you transform your mind to be able to actually use a craving for something positive, right? Selfishness is not a good thing. But look at, uh, look at a lot of the greatest people in the world, Mother Teresa, for example. What did she do? She followed exactly what she felt she should do and affected the world. Was that really selflessness or was it the best form of selfishness? So I guess the fear of failure for me, I'm still not 100% convinced that it's the worst thing in the world. No, I, it can be a huge motivator, it sounds like. It's it's a huge motivator for me, uh, but also without the negative energy behind it, just as a craving is like, oh my gosh, I want a green juice right now. My wife always says it. And I'm like, isn't this funny that I used to say this about Oreos and all these other things, yet now you're telling me that a craving could be good? Because desire and craving and selfishness, this is what everyone says is our normal nature and that we need to fight all this stuff. What if we just changed what we desired? What if we just changed what selfishness looked like that our actual obsession and our selfishness was actually a thing that affected the world the most? And instead of being someone that we aren't trying to not be selfish, trying to not have a craving, trying to not have a fear of failing, trying to not have this whole thing, instead of trying to be a not, to actually be someone that you are in a positive way and to refine that over time. And so it's a different outlook, but that's what we say to our guys all the time. And it, it, transform, it transforms their life because all of a sudden those words aren't negative anymore. They're just different. There's different forms. You're killing us with great advice. And you keep mentioning your wife. And I kind of want to go that direction real quick because you guys run your business together. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. Every single day. So what's that like? How do you make that work? Because that can be difficult. Yeah. Well, first off, we didn't have a choice. We had no money. And so it wasn't a decision like, honey, you should come home and you can come work for me and like everything's all comfortable already. So I believe that's a different thing in that aspect is that we started out that way. I never had a job. I never was going to get a job. I was always like, I'm going to go figure this out some way or another. My dad was a business owner. So was my uncle. So when we went into it, we just had to solve a problem. We were in a place of survival and we needed to get to stability. And so we created a habit that way. One thing as well is to look at values. My wife and I's values are very similar. And I'm not just talking about don't kill or any of these things. I like looking at things like the DISC test where it shows your economic values. It shows you your individualistic values. And we're very similar in our values when it comes to economics. And so with that, we're able to be a very big power couple. Also, our personalities are very much the same but somewhat different. She's very organized and I'm not. And so it really complements the business as well. We're not both clashing all the time. So I don't think it's right for everyone. I do believe that everyone could do it. And we did it again because I didn't go into business either to be away from my wife all the time. I did it because I wanted to sit next to her every single day, 16 hours a day. I've been married for six years and we're together almost every single day all throughout the day. And if you take how many people actually have quality time with their wife over 40 years, I may have the same amount of time racked up right now. And I love that because I've never been that skilled at anything in my life. And the thought of actually like getting good at communication because we consistently put ourselves into having to be truthful, into having to tell the truth to each other, into having to be vulnerable or else our lives would suck because we're more committed to the relationship than we are the business, than we are any of these other things because it's a higher priority. And because of that, we set that first. And when relationship, it all comes down to commitment. 
See, commitment is doing what you said you were going to do after the feeling you said it and it's gone. This is why marriage is so big, till death do us part, though most people don't follow it. And we could talk about breaking commitments another day. But this is what happens. Conflict comes, and this happens for everyone, happens for us every single day. Most people, if it's not a great relationship, they'll walk away from conflict. They're like, I'm never going to talk to them again. They're a jerk. And that's okay to do because there's not enough trust. So the commitment level and trust level have to be equal to be able to go further and deeper in relationship, especially when it comes to intimacy. And so when I build this commitment to my wife, all of a sudden now when we get into conflict, we're able to talk about it. Why? Because we're not afraid of each other walking out of each other's life. If I brought up conflict and disagreements with someone who's random on the streets, they could just walk away. So because of that commitment, we could talk about it. And the point of talking about it isn't to agree, but to understand. And if you shift your mindset there, all of a sudden, it's not about convincing so that we both agree, but it's about asking questions so that we both can understand each other's point of view. And that understanding makes you love your wife more. And then the feeling comes back. Most people get into conflict. They don't feel like they have enough trust or enough commitment in the relationship to go through the conflict. So because of that, it builds distrust. And because of that, they never get to access the fruit on the other side. It's you have no feeling. It feels like crap. Believe me, it feels like you're going to throw up in your stomach. You get through the conflict, through the commitment. And on the other side of conflict, the other side of understanding is greater love because now you know more about that person than you did before. So what's the number one biggest struggle you guys have as a couple working together and how do you work through it? Uh, I would say me overreacting and being abrupt. I'm a high D personality on the disc test. I want to go, go, go super quick. And my wife has a lot of a C personality, which is very task oriented. Check down the list. So for me, if you give me tasks, I will freak out, especially if they're small, tedious tasks that don't move the dial. And then for uh, on my wife's side, if I'm just, you know, super cutthroat all the time interrupting, then that just causes tons of strife. So I would say on, on that's because we're working all the time together. Those are the number one things that cause conflict is these times where I just like get super aggressive and ready to go, not in a mean way, but it's just these are driven by anger. And so my anger, I think, is passion, but everyone else around me thinks it's anger, right? So I would say those things are some of the biggest. It's tough, man. As an entrepreneur, you probably know this as well. It's tough to remember negative things. I don't know. Like we just, we solve the court case, we file it away as a lesson learned, and then we move on. And really, I just, I, that's why I love my wife so much because I really think about all the positives that happen. The, the things that happen, I'll have to tell you. I'll, I'll send you an email you could send out of the next conflict I have, and I'll let you know what it is. <laughs> I think you answered it really well, though, when you said that you're able to you know, close the case, so to speak, and file it away. I think that's really important and we do being it right able to there. move on. We do it right there. Most people say, oh, I'm an internal processor. My wife's an internal processor. Believe me, I get it. No, we do it right there. I go, honey, this is our number one our priority. I'm not going to that party. I'm not going to that business meeting. I'm not doing this because I'm here and I allow a space for it every single time. And, and to, sometimes it can draw out. Sometimes we don't get it fully figured out. We need to leave the situation, but at least we understand each other. That doesn't mean we feel better, but now we've got it all on the table. We've told the truth. We see each other's perspectives and then we move on. And we do that every time, every day. We don't allow the sun to go down without at least having communication about it. Oh man, good stuff. So do you and your wife view money the same way? That's a tough question. My wife loves to likes to spend money more than I do. Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad thing. I would say that I have a problem with saving it too much and she doesn't really have a problem either way. She really pushes me. So 
I would say that I always use money to figure out a way that I could either learn, grow, or make more of it. Whereas she looks at money as, as a resource to be able to do anything. I don't know. So that we definitely look at it a little bit differently, but I would say it's fairly similar, which is why we get along so well when we work together is because we both honor money for what it is and we look at it as a tool, not like, you know, the ultimate thing. It's money in itself, if we all decided that it had no value, it would have no value. It is literally just you'd light it on fire and use it for to light fireplaces. And so the fact that money really, unless it's deployed for something, really doesn't have great value. It's what it can buy, and we both understand that. Mm, what an awesome answer and description of money. So what are your goals going forward? What's next for you guys? So our goal is to grow the business this year. And I told you in a year and a half or so, we're planning on having a kid. I take things short term, but I do have a one year, five year, 10 year, and 20 year. I'll tell you what my 20 year is, because this is ultimately what's getting me to do what I'm doing today. I had a vision, I'm, I'm, a, I'm huge on this. Write what you learned a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and 20 years ago, who you were, if you've been alive for 20 years. And then go from there, you'll realize that you've grown so much in all those times. And I always ask, if you could go back in time and relive your life with what you know now, would you be able to do it better? And they're like, oh, absolutely. Great. Well, that's how the successful people are doing it with the future. I look at what I want life to be like in a year, five years, 10 years, and 20 years. And when I see myself in 20 years, I laid on the floor, I played instrumental music, and I just allowed my mind to drift and dream. Because any goal that you have that's not emotionalized, it'll never happen. You'll never remember it. But you'll know you, you know you have a goal that's emotionalized if when you think about your goals, you picture that picture again and how it felt. And I remember having a yacht. So yachts are a lot, like $100 million or whatever. I was on this yacht and all my family is stepmoms, stepdads, moms, dads, like grandpas and grandmas all over the place. Plus I'm married. So just imagine that having them all on the yacht and because they're in water, they can't get off of it. So because of that, they actually connect, but it's a great enough experience where they want to come and see it. And because of that, I bring my entire family together to be able to communicate, to be able to understand each other, and to be able to grow in a deeper relationship because of this experience that I've had. And I picture myself sitting on the front of that and going, wow, this is the life that I'm living. And the way that I'm doing what I'm doing today is I decided not to allow that person 20 years ago to stay in the future. I decided to rip them into the present. And that's why I'm on shows like this today. And so that's where I'm going. And every step along the way is just a stepping stone to get there. Our plan is obviously to grow every single quarter. We believe if you're a businessman and this is your destiny, that you add revenue, you add net, and you add profit. Every single quarter is your obligation. And so that's exactly what we're doing. And we're making sure we have the groundwork. I'm also getting a Ford Raptor, by the way, <laughs> and, uh, and fun stuff as well. Um, but equally, I want to be able to serve. I want to be able to give. And I don't want money to be the thing that's holding me back. I want all the options in the world and to make decisions. See, poverty gives you no decisions, and that's what I had. Life was so much easier when I could, I, if I have enough money, I'll do it. Yet with money, you have options, and then you're accountable to the choices that you make. And I wanna actually have that responsibility. I may go into governmental stuff here as well. I really don't like what's going on in Riverside County, um, but I'm sure that's for a different show. But if, the, if there's places and holes where the world needs help, that's where I'll be. That's awesome. That's fascinating. Okay, before I ask you the last two questions, where can we find you? Everyone's going to want to follow you, check out your programs, all that stuff. 
Yeah, and for the people that want to know the word thing, Nicholas at the billion dollar body.com, the billion dollar body.com is the best place to email me for that. Uh, but other than that, just the billion dollar body.com is great. And on there, you can check me out on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram would probably be the most fun. I'm doing stories every day. You can see my lifestyle with my wife, what we're saying, what she's saying. She's super cute as well. So if you like just watching cute girls on Instagram, she's probably the one to follow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. Um, oh, I but in- Instagram is such a fun place. I-, I love what's going on. I love following you there Chris that's actually how we met you were like oh I follow you guys on Instagram and I was like oh that's awesome man like let's connect and now I'll look at where we're at so yeah it's amazing things can happen on Instagram totally my jam it's it's more interesting than anything else to me right now all right so this is mentor meant to inspire and kind of start that chain reaction to giving so what is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving one of my all-time favorite moments of giving I came back from a missions trip where I was out there serving the poor and I owed my mom twenty eight hundred dollars and I literally had no money to give it to my mom. And I don't know if this is the right answer, but this is my answer. I had $542. And I remember, I, I don't know how to make money at this point. I don't know what to do. And so I decided to give it all away. And in two weeks, I was able to pay back my mom. And that, to me, was like, wow. I was able to affect someone else's life. And because of that, I also was provided for. And I had no worries. The birds of the air eat. The flowers on the ground eat. And they don't work for it. And all of a sudden, I attracted more money in my life as well. Wow, that's an awesome answer. And why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success? <laughs> because it just doesn't matter. There's a quote that says, at 20 years old, you care about what everyone thinks about you. 40 years old, you stop caring what everyone thinks about you. 60 years old, you realize nobody was even thinking about you. So why not just get there now? You have a life and a destiny. You're on this earth for a reason. If you're still alive and you're breathing right now, that means you're here for a reason. Figure out what that reason is and go after it, right? I told you, don't do what you know is right and be willing to fail. Then do what you already know is wrong and succeed in front of everyone else. Success in front of everyone else will never make you happy. And it will actually never make them happy either. You'll just be a very nice person. And nice people finish last. Man, excellent quote, excellent answer. Nicholas, thank you for being on the show. I got to be honest, you probably delivered some of the most value, you know, just quotes, nuggets, tips. Um, of anyone who's ever been on the show. And thank you for that. I know everyone's going to be appreciative. Dang, man. I feel all tingly inside now. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm really excited to connect with everyone. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.